And I gave it a great deal of thought, Grandpa. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Did you kill the president? No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. History's strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. Welcome back. It's Dave Does History. This week, no Bill Mick. Bill is on vacation. He is in West By God, Virginia, which, in case you didn't know, let me take a moment here and plug my own stuff for a sec. Back in the Afternoons Live with Dave and John days, we did a a segment each Thursday called Constitution Thursday, and one of those segments is entitled West by God, Virginia, and it's the story of how West Virginia became a state. 1863. It's a fascinating story, and it has a lot of constitutional um, background to it. And so we talked about that back then. You can find it uh, on my website, plausiblylive.com, or I think I'll just link it up in the the segment below, the write-up below for today. And if you get a chance, you might want to listen to the Constitution Thursday of West by God, Virginia. There's other ones as well. but that was something we were pretty, really proud of. And that particular episode was, was one of the, the really good ones where we talked about something that most people don't think about. West Virginia? Well, it's always been a state, right? No, it, it hasn't. And there you go. And that's where Bill is today. So no Bill for Dave Does History today. November 22nd. 1963 was one of the seminal days in American history. It was one of the defining days, really, of American history. I was two months and two days old, so I have no conscious memory of it. But I can tell you that that is the day that even right now, as I'm sitting here right now, you can trace me being behind this RE20 microphone in Silverdale, Washington, you can trace that back to November 22nd, 1963. It was a day that everybody knows who was there anyway. Everybody remembers what they were doing. In fact, that's the the typical discussion, right? Where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you when they landed on the moon? That's what my son asks me all the time. He's 12, always wants me to talk about, well, Dad, what did you think about? When you saw the moon landing, well, it's kind of um, it's kind of hard to explain, Ben. But you know, I was five and almost six. But we had a a black and white television that was kind of small, and in those days, there was no HD television, and so everything was over the air. And so our, you know, we we didn't get the greatest reception in the world. Plus, as it turns out, the video from the moon wasn't all that great. To this day. 
I, I watch it still and I'm like, what am I looking at here? I don't, I remember the day. I don't really remember the details of it. But November 22nd is one of those days that you can sit down with parents and grandparents and say, what were you doing? How, what happened when you heard about what had happened in Dallas that day? And to a person, they will almost always have some recollection of that day. What I felt, what I was doing when I heard the news, what I did next. And it's kind of a collection, I guess, in a way of Americana. It's, it's, it's a history, but not history the way we normally read it in the books. This is history about each individual because there was literally no American who wasn't somehow or another affected. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The creation of the myth of Camelot was post all of this. Uh, Camelot was during, but, but this idea that everybody loved John Kennedy is a fallacy. It wasn't true. There are a lot of people who did not like John Kennedy, did not like his policies, did not like his personality. And in doing so, were not big fans of his. And so when the president was assassinated, the universal reaction was not shock and disdain and mourning. I think everybody was, you know, surprised. I think a lot of people were concerned. But just assuming that President Kennedy was beloved, particularly before the assassination, would be a mistake. So be careful not to do that. So what was it about that day that really changes how we do things, I guess? That's the question that we'll start to answer in just 60 seconds. Welcome back. It's Dave Does History. No Bill Mick today. As I said earlier, he's on vacation, but we're glad to be here with you on this November 22nd, where we recall the events of November 22nd, 1963, the day President John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas. Now, I want to take a little bit different approach to this today. I... What you believe about the event really is not the issue here. It, whether you believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, whether you don't believe that, not really, not really what I'm driving at about the history of that day. I want to talk more about the history of how we, corporately, as a nation, have reacted to that event for more than half a century. It, it, it's remarkable in some ways. And of course... At times, it seems to have gotten pretty, pretty intense. Now, one of the things I have noticed is that over the past probably 10 years or so, there has been a real fade back on, on Kennedy assassination stuff, certainly from when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was a hot topic. Everybody had an opinion on it all the time. Not so much anymore. Not sure why that is, other than perhaps time passing, other than perhaps we are forgetting our history. And of course, there's some reasons for that. But there are those who are adamant that everything we've been told about November 22nd, 1963 is an absolute lie. And then there are those who accept the story without any questions at all. And of course, we're all sitting around going, when are they going to declassify the documents? When are they going to, when are they going to declassify? When, 
When is this going to come back? When are we going to get this information? Well, the sad truth is we're never going to get that information. The, the, the JFK, JFK assassination files will never actually be fully declassified. There's some reasons for that. Mostly because the CIA continues to argue that they have to protect sources and information. Now, you might say to yourself, Dave, after 59 years, what could they possibly be protecting? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't have a clue what they could possibly be protecting all these years later. But the CIA has said, we have to protect these sources. We have to protect this information. And consequently, they continue, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, to argue against the declassification of the JFK assassination files. So I don't think we're ever going to see the same with the, uh, the Thresher files, same with the K219 files. We're never going to see all that stuff. Uh, there'll be lip service paid to declassification, but the truth is you're never going to see them. So I wouldn't get really excited about it because they're never going to be fully declassified. So that said, since we don't have the whole story, all we have is what we saw, what we think, what we feel. You have to ask the question, what does this history mean to each of us individually, to you, to me? And I submit to you that that is more important than any story of that particular day official or otherwise, how we personally have internalized and acted upon that history. As I told you a few minutes ago, the reason I'm sitting behind this microphone right now is because JFK was shot on November 22nd, 1963. I was two months old. That seems like a bold claim, Dave. Can you back that up? Well, of course I can, because otherwise I wouldn't have started this whole thing with you today. It's Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Bill is not here today, and we're not even on Bill McLive. We are actually on just on podcast today. You can always email me, Dave at the Dave Bowman Show.com. I actually have a text machine. You can text my show at area code 209-565-Dave. That's 209-565-3283. And of course, we have the website, the Dave Bowman Show.com as well as a uh, Facebook page. And we even have a Twitter account. I never use it, but, but there it is. Stay with us. We will be back in just a moment to continue our discussion of November 22nd, 1963. I'm Bill Meck with WMMP Radio in Melbourne, Florida, where we have a governor that will actually stand for what's right. My show airs mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern. Every day we discuss news, politics, and social issues that impact us all. Tuesdays in our 8 o'clock hour, Dave joins me for something we call Dave Does History, where Dave brings us events from our past that contain lessons for right now. To listen live, find WMMB on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back. It's Dave Does History. November 22nd, 2022, and we're talking about November 22nd, 1963. I'm Dave from The Dave Bowman Show, Plausibly Live, the official podcast of The Dave Bowman Show, plus um, the website, 
thedavebowmanshow.com. And normally, like I said, I'm here every week with Bill. Bill is on vacation, so I just didn't feel like I could let November 22nd go by. And yes, I could have done my normal podcast for it, but I thought, you know, Dave Does History is so much fun, and it's so much interest to me, and hopefully to you as well, and so I thought, well, we're just, just going to do it like we would be doing it on the radio show. I said to you that the, the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1963 had a serious impact on the trajectory of my life. In the early 1981, late 1980, the book actually came out in 1980, but it might have been early 1981 before I heard about it. A new book was making the rounds. The book was called Best Evidence. It's written by an author by the name of David Lifton. And Mr. Lifton's claim was that he could prove beyond the shadow of any reasonable doubt that the Kennedy assassination had to be a conspiracy. Now, I don't think there's anything earth-shattering in that claim. I really don't. But to be able to claim to prove it was a little bit unusual, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know that there are a lot of Americans who don't believe that it was a conspiracy, but how do you prove it? Now, the thing about his book was he did not address who was involved with conspiracy. He didn't talk about... You know, it was the CIA, or it was Lyndon Johnson, or it was uh, Fidel Castro, or it was the mob, or whoever. You can get any, any, any of that. None of that is covered. He simply looked at the methodology of carrying out the actions of the conspiracy, which is a little disconcerting. If you think about the Kennedy assassination, how would you go about proving just from the best evidence, that it was, in fact, a conspiracy. A conspiracy, by the way, the meaning you had to have at least two people involved and probably more. At the end of the day, Mr. Lifton's theory, and, and he still promotes this theory, by the way, he still, last I heard, he'd released an updated version. I have not seen it. I have not, nor have I read it in my copious free time. Ultimately, his theory, though, is that Kennedy's body, the corpse of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was in fact altered between Dallas, when it left Dallas, and when it arrived at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. That's a very bold claim, because Mr. Lifton never saw the body. None of us have ever seen the body. Very few people actually did. Primarily just the people in the emergency room in Dallas and at the autopsy in Washington, D.C. Those being the only people who saw it, you'd have, this is an extraordinary claim, so it requires extraordinary proof. Mr. Lifton's book purports, and I have read it many years ago and subsequently to that reread it, Mr. Lifton's book purports to make that proof, that extraordinary proof, that Kennedy's body was altered between D.C. and Dallas. What does that have to do with me being on the air? (laughs) Hang on for a minute. I'll be happy to tell you about it. 
Welcome back. It's Dave Does History. I'm Bill McLive. I'm Dave. Bill on vacation. Talking about the Kennedy assassination, November 22nd, 1963, and how that assassination has affected so many of us by focusing primarily on me because I know my story best. When Mr. Lifton, David Lifton, wrote his book, Best Evidence, in 1980, he began to do what was known back then as the book tour. It's probably still called that, but it's done much differently now, where he would do interviews around the country with various television stations and radio stations and the like. In early 1981, I specifically remember this being in January, but I can't, I I didn't write it down, so I don't, the only reason I remember it being in January was because I kind of associate it with the Super Bowl that year, be that as it may. He was interviewed, David Lifton was interviewed by uh, the local show on KSL 1160 in Salt Lake City. Now, at the time, I lived in Ogden, Utah, and I was 17, and I listened to radio all the time. I loved CBS Radio Mystery Theater. It was a program that came on every night at 6 o'clock. I listened religiously to news. I even liked sports on the radio. I'm not a basketball fan, and I absolutely hate Brigham Young University. I'm a Utah guy. Um, but KSL carried BYU basketball, and it, wasn't, it was right around that time that BYU went to the, uh, to the, to the NCAA tournament and won and got to the Sweet 16 with Danny Ainge, and that was on the radio. And I remember listening to it. It was fantastic. KSL had everything, but they had this evening drive, afternoon drive talk show And this was before Rush Limbaugh. This was before we had really discovered talk radio as we know it today. Lifton was on that show, and God bless me, I cannot remember the name of the show. I'm sorry. I just don't have any memory of it. I could probably do some internet sleuthing and find it, but it's just not that important to me. But that interview that David Lifton gave is the first conscious memory I have of actually listening to talk radio, where a host interviewed someone, and then callers began to call in and talk about the subject. And I was absolutely hooked at 17 on that format. This idea that you could sit down with people like in a salon, a French salon of the 18th century, 17th, 18th century, and have a conversation about virtually any topic. And furthermore, that you could broadcast this, and so hundreds, thousands, perhaps even millions of people could be listening at the same time. What an incredible moment that was for me. And this realization, and of course, it goes back to You know, the times where uh, people would gather around the radio, much as they'd gather around the television when Milton Berle was on or uh, Lucille Ball or whatever. But in in the same way, I think radio, radio has something that television doesn't have in that it has imagination. You, You hear my voice, but unless you've known me or met me or seen a picture, you have no clue what I look like, who I am, anything about me. So you have to fill that in, and you do. 
you fill it in with your imagination. I did the same thing with, with radio hosts. And there you had it. This whole imagination element that you could put into this and these subjects that you could talk about, the idea of being able to talk about any subject, even ones the government didn't want being discussed. And this artful mix of interview and questions and callers is just utterly amazing to me. I was 17 years old, and I have literally never forgotten that moment. You could say, you could argue, I would argue, that the JFK assassination led David Lifton to write his book, which led him to be on that show that evening, which I heard. And that is why I'm sitting behind a microphone now. I make that argument all the time. I will tell you this. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I prefer logic and science to emotion and hysteria. That does not mean that there aren't questions that should be asked. But I think that some of the questions that David Lifton raised in his books still have not been satisfactorily answered. But for what it's worth, I personally do not buy his theory. I, there's some reasons why, but those aren't relevant to this conversation. But I will tell you that back in 1980 and 1981, I didn't just buy his theory. I sold his theory. Every conversation I had, every, every time we talked about Kennedy, my friends and whoever, my teachers, whatever, I was right there with David Lifton's book, Best Evidence, saying, what about this that I heard on that radio? What I didn't realize was I was really about the format, not the particular story, because it became clear to me over the next few weeks that I could do that with any story. I did realize that talk radio format which had not yet really hit its stride. Rush Limbaugh was still years away. It had the potential to make any topic a discussion in the great way that radio always had and still does today, even in the digital format, even in the podcast format. One of the things that I'm absolutely adamant about is my podcast is done as a radio show. It's recorded live. I don't go back and edit out goofs or where I stutter or the ums or if I say a bad word. I don't, I don't edit those things out because I want it to feel live. I want it to feel like you're listening to radio. Because of that moment that I still point to as a life-changing moment. Radio was so amazing. And it all started because a guy wrote a book about the JFK assassination. So... Where does that leave us on the actual assassination? Where does that leave Dave and you and us as we think about 59 years later? How has this affected us? We'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. Stay with us. We'll be back right here on Dave Does History. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pine Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and, and everything stuff. <laughs> Listen to Two Pint Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's Dave Does History. Bill still on vacation. He hasn't come back yet. I was kind of hoping maybe he would, but he has not. 
So it's just me today, and it's just podcast today, not actual amplitude-modulated waves, or even frequency-modulated waves. Which, by the way, was one of the first things the, Ra- the Navy taught me in electronics A school. So imagine this now. I'm in love with talk radio and the format of talk radio. And the Navy teaches me how to build radios and how they work. And it's been, it's, it took me a while to get there, but once I got there, um, it's been home ever since. Talking about the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963, I want you to think for just a moment about how much discussion of that event has been generated particularly compared to other events in our national history. How many, how many news stories were written and continue to be written every year about the Kennedy assassination? Think about all the television specials you've watched through the years about it. How many books have you bought? I can tell you for myself, I've bought numerous books. Don't have them much anymore because... For me, the Kennedy assassination, as I talked about through David Lifton's book, was really about being behind a microphone, not so much the actual interest about the assassination. How many films have been made? How many times did you go see JFK, Oliver Stone's film? Which, again, it's a conspiracy film, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But that said, I thought it was a very well done film. The problem, of course, with it is, is that like many things, it doesn't give you both sides of the equation. And as much as someone once said to me, a piece of cloth with only one side to it makes for mighty thin material. But you can make it sound good. What's the line from, from Vinny Gambino in, in uh, My Cousin Vinny? Remember when he holds up the card and he says, they're going to show you bricks and they're going to look like this and they're going to look in present, but they're, th- but they're skinny. They don't show you the whole thing. It's the same kind of thing, I think. You, you don't see the whole of this. But what you see looks impressive. Think about the discussions you've had with your friends, with your family. Think about the things that you can learn about your family. Years later, years later, in fact, less than three years ago, I sat around the dinner table with my parents. My father passed away this past year, but in, 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 that conversation, I discovered more about my father's politics in that conversation than I had ever known before. My father, of blessed memory, was not a Kennedy fan, was not a Kennedy voter, not a Kennedy supporter. And all those years after the assassination, he still was not a Kennedy supporter, and he didn't understand how this whole Camelot thing came about and why people loved him. He, in his opinion, he was a terrible president. and. I was blown away by that. I thought everybody loved Kennedy. I like Kennedy. I've read his speeches. I've read his writings. Yes, I know he's not a perfect man. I know that. But I still find him very impressive. Imagine for a moment all the things that we've talked about, all of that history, because that's what it is. It's all our own interpretations of what happened that day, even if we weren't there. We have a concept, an idea, a belief, an opinion about what happened that day. And that is history from each of us. 
And think about the free will that goes into that and how it affects each of us going forward. Is it possible that what we individually believe about the Kennedy assassination and the Kennedy story affects and impacts how we do things about other stories? I think the answer is clearly yes. It's just a question of figuring out how. And we'll do that in 60 seconds. For the record, so let's get it on the record. What does Dave believe about the Kennedy assassination? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, As I said, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I believe that Oswald acted alone. I believe that the best evidence and the preponderance of the evidence is Oswald acted alone. That does not eliminate the possibility of a conspiracy. But it does make the conspiracy less boogeyman-ish in a lot of ways. I believe that there were three shots fired that day and that all three were fired by Oswald. Subsequently, a great deal of effort went into trying to prove that he could not fire three shots in the time allocated. I know that. But consistently, tests, experiments, and even information has shown that he could have. And it's not an impossibility. It's not... It's not impossible that he could not have, or that he could. It's not impossible that he could have. People see and hear what they want to see and hear. And how you ask questions of people, I think, contributes more to things than, than we want to believe. What did you see is not the same question as, did you see that man behind the fence? Or did you see a man behind the fence? Do you see the difference? Ultimately, the investigation into Kennedy's assassination, I think, did more harm than good. The investigation had predetermined conclusions, and predetermined conclusions that ignore exculpatory facts tend to be a problem. In other words, when you you use inductive reasoning to, to get to your point, this... This is, our pre- this is our conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, and we ignore anything that might deviate from that without a good answer. I think that's a problem, and consequently, I think we learned the wrong lesson. It wasn't that the government lied to us. It's that it tried so hard to convince us of its truth, while at the same time telling us that they weren't going to tell us the truth. We're going to keep this stuff classified because there's obviously something here that we need you to not see. Well, doesn't that kind of automatically prove that there's more to the story here that we should know? It's not that they lied about it. It's that they tried so ridiculously hard to convince you that what they were saying was the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, that it was obvious that it wasn't. We will never know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the Kennedy assassination. You're never going to know. Some people say they do. Some people say, oh, Dave, I know everything about it. No, you don't. But even if we did... The lesson we should take from that is that we 
should and we must keep talking about it. We keep we need to keep these questions alive. And this is one of the things I'm concerned about is as I told you earlier from 5, 10, 15 years ago it's almost like this this moment in history is kind of falling off the wagon. It's like people don't care anymore. Oh, there's a few hardcore old people who are well, I really want to know. Young people don't know anything about it. And yet here was a seminal moment in our history that has changed how we do things. What you choose to believe about defense memos and whether Kennedy was going to pull out of Vietnam or not, all of those things changed because of this moment in history. All of these things were affected by this. All of these things were impacted by this, and our own lives were changed because now, today, we tend to be very skeptical of government, don't we? 1984, was it 1984? I don't remember the actual date. It might have been 1989, sorry. 1989, the USS Iowa experienced a casualty in number two turret. The gun blew up, killed 47 sailors aboard Iowa. And for those of us that were sailors at the time, there was a lot of discussion about this. And the Navy came out with its official report that was so obviously, I mean, it could have been true. It could have been a gay, jolted gay sailor putting an explosive device in the powder. It could have been that. But what are the odds of that? And what has to happen for that to happen? And that report was quickly rejected, and it was quickly proven to be false. Watergate. Do you really believe what happened with Watergate, or is there more to it? Iran-Contra. First Gulf War. You can go on and on and on here with elements of history where the people have become more and more suspicious of government explanations of anything. And I think in many ways, our reaction to those reports is trackable back to our reaction to the Warren Commission, the investigation into the execution, the the assassination of John Kennedy. And the ridiculous ideas that they came up with that, rather than just telling us, we don't know. We don't know how he did it. Can't figure it out. But we don't have any better solutions, so here's a ridiculous one. And in many ways, I think that changed America. I think it changed us as a people because we don't trust government. And I think it started a week from today, on November 29th, 1963, when now President Johnson establishes the Warren Commission. And I think next week, when Bill's back off vacation, we have time to do it. I think we'll delve into the Warren Commission and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the stuff about that the Warren Commission came up with, that even to this day, even me, who believes that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, makes me shake my head. Because it's crazy. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate Bill letting me kind of sit in here, even though it's, you know, it's a podcast. It's not like he could stop me if he wanted to. But, you know, it's something we really enjoy doing, and we've enjoyed doing since we worked together all those years ago in Modesto. Thanks, everybody. Ego Biberi Capula said, Oliver Verve, I drink coffee so that others might live. See you next week for Dave Does History.